Welcome to Refresh, a podcast designed to revive, recharge, and renew your faith and give you the tools to follow Jesus. Refresh comes to you from the Salvation Army in Gwinnett County, Georgia. We meet in person every Sunday at 1030 a.m. or online on Facebook and YouTube at Sal Army Gwinnett. We are excited that you have joined us this week and pray that God will bring his word to life. And now for our speaker. We are now in the final two weeks of the Therefore Go series. And I know what you might be thinking. When is this ever going to end? We've been going for a while now. Well, don't worry. Put your mind at ease. We've got two more weeks. Two more weeks that we're going to focus in on Therefore Go and in the book of Acts. And, and, and really, to tell you the truth, is that Acts is such a rich book for us to dive into, especially on this side of things, that we're able to reflect back and read the book of Acts and see that all that's taken place. It is our history. You're in my history, by the way, the book of Acts. It is not a history of a people that's of a distant land or from a generation that knows no longer with us, but a history that belongs to the church as a whole, you and I. And most important, it's the book of Acts from beginning to end is covered with the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the first evident fruit and truth of his power. Acts is very important. And if we're going to be going anywhere, we have to go with him. We have to go with the Holy Spirit. And how do we know what he's capable of? How do we know what he, what he can do or how we're supposed to go? We look at the people who went first. And then we see what they did and what the Spirit did in them. So Acts is, is really, the book of Acts is when we get a real life, not just a historical, but a real life example of what the Spirit is capable of. And what God's overall plan is for the church, for you and I. Now, we're going to be diving into Acts chapter 8 today, and I'm going to tell you that Acts chapter 8 is an interesting historical stop for church history. It's definitely a a spot that is not often seen. It, It really shows us the reality of fighting our own personal battles, what it's like when we, not as a collective group necessarily, But when we, you and I, in our own souls, have a battle to fight within, and we get a real dive into that in Acts chapter 8, that that our old lifestyle, the old us, what we used to be, doesn't just disappear when we start following Jesus. Anybody who has maybe had suffered through a severe addiction can tell you that that's not something that's gone in one, it's something you work on for the rest of your life something that's over and over. And because of that history, it doesn't just go away with you. It's now that we know Jesus, that we know the Holy Spirit, we know what we can do when it comes across our plate. See, the true mark of a believer is what we do when our past comes back. When it's there before dangling as a carrot, and it's what we do, the choice that we make is the mark of a believer. This is Christianity. This is our faith. This is you and me. And I have to make those choices too when they're dangling in front of me. And so today we're introduced to Simon the Sorcerer. Sounds exciting. Let's pray. 
Father, we just thank you for this time this morning, and we ask you just to be with us as we dive into your word, as we dissect and we look verse by verse in the narrative of the story. But God, I pray as I do every week that your truth, your gospel only be spoken from this pulpit, Lord, and that in that we're not confused, but you deliver understanding to our hearts and our souls and our mind so that way we know, Lord, what it is that you desire for us, what it is that you want us to take away. And God, if I say anything wrong, if I say anything that is not true, then correct me on this spot, Lord, and, and, and just let the Spirit come out and say what it is that you want your people to hear. So, Father, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, amen. Well, our Acts journey has us joining the disciples. That's kind of where we're picking up here in Acts chapter 8. We're actually going just a step back from where we were last week, Acts chapter 10, because I didn't want to miss this. On Pentecost Sunday, I wanted to hit Acts 10. I wanted to make sure we focused on that. But today, I, want to, I don't want to miss Acts chapter 8. And so we pick up with the disciples after they are facing severe persecution in Jerusalem. It isn't just a, a cakewalk anymore. It's not just following Jesus. Now they had to put their faith to the test. And they actually have to believe, stand on what they believe on. And they're having to willing to do things that maybe they thought they never have to do. Believers right now at this point in the book of Acts are being thrown into prison. And yes, just one chapter before, the church took a brand new turn because someone actually gave their life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hasn't happened yet besides Jesus himself. But one of his followers stood the test and said, I'd be willing to do it. And so in Acts chapter 7, we're now entering a new chapter in our church. And so here we are, the disciples, after they see all the persecution, everything that's happening in Jerusalem, they decide it's now time to go and deliver the message to the world of this Messiah, of this Jesus Christ. And so they split up. Some of them stay in Jerusalem and others split across the world, across the plains to go deliver this message. Well, today we're following Philip. That's who we're going to be paying attention to. And Philip actually really didn't go too far when the split took place and they went different directions. He ended up going to Samaria, just a little north of Jerusalem, technically still in Israel, but just a little north of there is where he decided to go take the message of the gospel to. Now, he ended up uh, going to a region most likely in Samaria, the same Samaria, by the way, where Jesus first revealed himself as the Messiah to the woman at the well. It's that Samaria that Philip is going to. Now, he, Philip, set up shop, according to Scripture, and just started preaching the good news of the Messiah. He just started bringing in the, the news of the gospel, what just took place in Jerusalem not long ago, about this Jesus who was on the cross and now he's no longer, and he's sharing this message with the people, the Samaritans in that area. Now, this actually probably would not have been a hard sell for Philip. It would have been trying to convince that there is a God, that is the Son of God, that is the Messiah. This wouldn't have been a hard sell to the Samaritans because you see the people of Samaria are actually of Jewish descent. They're not too far from where their brothers in, in Jerusalem is. They're actually, the Samaria region is from three tribes. The tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Levi all make up the Samaria region. And they are what's known the northern tribes of Israel. However, the Samaritans did split ways a little bit. They don't necessarily agree with all, you know, brothers and siblings like to fight, you know. 
And so, you know, they kind of saw it this way. They kind of saw it this way. And so their, their theology or, or really their beliefs started to split apart. And that's where the regions came into place of Israel and Samaria. And so Samaritans actually disagree on several things from their Jewish brothers when it comes to the scriptures and to the geography of Israel itself. They disagree on these things. Here are a few of those disagreements between these two people. First is that for the Samaritans, anything after the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, anything after the first five is rejected as Holy Scripture to them. They just stick to the original five and that's it. Anything after that, that's our brothers down there. And so the five, that's what they stick to. Next, they too, the Samaritans, also believe that a Messiah will come to free their people. They believe that. They just have a different view on what that Messiah is going to look like, what he's going to do, and what he's going to bring to his people. But the Messiah language would not be foreign to them. They too are waiting for one. And then lastly, and this is perhaps the biggest difference between the two, is that the Samaritans believe that the most holy site on the planet and the only proper place to worship God is Mount Gerizim, which they believe is the site that Abraham took Isaac to be sacrificed. This is what they believe. That the Samaritans and the Jews, when looking at that geography, would disagree. The Jews believe that Mount Moriah in Jerusalem is the site where Abraham took Isaac, where David built an altar unto the Lord, where Solomon built the temple, and where the third and the final temple will be built when that day comes. You and I also believe the same thing, that Mount Moriah would be the location that all these things took place. <clears throat> now, this disagreement has caused quite the separation between these two groups. They actually hate each other. They loathe each other. They actually cannot agree on the simple thing of a mountain if this is the right or wrong place to worship the Lord. The Jews say the right place is in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans say, no, it's on the mounts here. And because of that, they're separated. They can't see eye to eye. And not just for one generation, but for multiple generations. Even when you're young or growing up, you don't know really why I hate you, but I know I do. I'm supposed to hate you. And so I hate you. And that's how it's been between these two. And in fact, we even see that when, when the southern parts of Israel would travel to the northern parts, there are only two ways. You walk through Samaria, or the way every Jewish traveler goes, you walk around Samaria. It's longer, but I'm not going to give them even a worthy of my foot on their property. They're going to walk around. And so this is the, re the reality of these two groups, these brothers really in the same land. They just can't see eye to eye. You see, the Samaritans think that the Jews are, well, quite honestly, a little holier than thou. And then the Samaritans, or the Samaritans think the Jews are holier than thou, and that the Jews think that Samaritans are disrespecting the Holy Scriptures. Yet, we find Philip. Where? Samaria. He didn't walk around. He went there, proclaiming to the Samaritans that the Messiah has come. Yes, 
that Messiah. That Messiah has come. Now, Philip is probably, and I'm just kind of being a little creative here, but he's probably telling the crowd the same thing that Jesus told the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 when he was in Samaria. That, the, that, that a time, and probably Philip is saying that the time is now. The time is here that neither will we worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but we will worship him in spirits and in truth. We will worship him here. Call upon his name, and now you are the temple of God. You are the temple. He will meet you there at that, not at a geography location, not at, not at a specific spot, but wherever you are, the Spirit is there too. And so Philip is telling the people this, and according to Scripture, is that the message was well received by the crowd. They were, they were hungry for unity. They were hungry for this message. And so they received it. And it was, in fact, I would even say that they probably received it the same way the woman at the well did. Wanted to go and tell every neighbor she can that the Messiah is here. The long-awaited Messiah has come. And it says that Philip, right after that, after he was preaching and, and sharing this message to them, that Philip himself, of course anointed with the Holy Spirit, started to perform signs to the people. He started to, to cast out impure spirits among that land. And then it also says that many who were paralyzed began and were healed and walking and blind. The blind could see. There were miraculous signs taking place. It was evident that Philip was filled with the Holy Spirit. However, there's always a however, isn't there? However, it appeared that Philip was on somebody else's turf. Someone else was already playing ball there. See, there was another person in town, a local, if you will, who practiced sorcery. And he, too, could actually perform the same signs that Philip could and has been. He was able to do that. Now, let's take a look at that word sorcery, all right? Kind of has a different meaning to us today. I mean, what exactly are we talking about? Are we referring to the medieval legends where every king had a magician or a, a wizard or a sorcerer to assist him in his daily responsibilities as king? Or maybe it's like the movie we see, uh, Disney's The Sword and the Stone, where the sorcerer and the wizards would all come out and help them. And, you know, they're all good people. They're just helping their kingdom. You know, they're doing their job. Well, now I'm going to tell you that in Acts, uh, this specific chapter Acts, no. This is not that type of sorcery. This is not a kid's fairy tale. That's not what's taking place here. It is actually believed, after I was diving in and researching, and I went back and forth and looking at different uh, commentaries and everything else, it's actually believed that this person named Simon, according and based off to Matthew chapter 24 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, was actually empowered by Satan to perform the impossible in order to intentionally discredit the power of God when it came through the lands. That's what, that's what a majority of commentaries said about this sorcerer, was that he was empowered by Satan only to discredit the power of God when it was displayed. Now it's interesting that when the power of God was present and when Philip brought it in and when people were seeing that, Satan would use Simon 
to discredit God because he too can do those same wonders. This is not the first time we see this. I'm thinking back just really quick off the top of my head to, to Moses in Egypt. Let my people go. And he would do a miracle. He would perform a sign. And then Pharaoh would bring his people out and say, and they would somehow be able to do the same sign. We've seen this before. Simon's not the first. But the crowds, when they saw Simon, the crowds would say that Simon, that guy, that sorcerer right there, that he was maybe the Messiah. That he was, as they said, the great power of God, is what they called Simon in this town. The great power of God. And let me tell you, Simon soaked it in. Ooh, yeah, he was liking this. All right, let's see what else we got up my sleeve here. He was soaking this in because he himself, Simon himself, boasted. He said that he was an awesome and all-powerful being, that he was all almighty and great. Simon would go around and say this, and he would have followers follow him because of the mighty signs he can do. Now, I'm going to tell you that so far in Scripture, we really haven't seen anything like this. Not really. Because you see, usually we see people who are possessed and are filled with some type of evil spirit, but they are in pain. They're in torments from the demon within. And they are begging to be set free. They're begging to get this out of me. They've been outcast. They've been exiled outside of the village. People don't know what's going on, but you're not coming in here. And so there's always a separation what's taking place when someone is filled with one of these demons or possession. But what we're seeing right here in this chapter of Acts is that Satan has given Simon the ability to display power. And when looking at Simon, he doesn't look scared, doesn't seem to be in pain, no need to exile him. In fact, he's doing some pretty great, amazing things. He looks powerful. He looks mighty. Kind of like this guy. Actually, can you do something for me, Simon the Great? It looks like he has it all together. No one's ushering him out, pushing him out of town. Friends, I'm going to tell you right now that this is one of the greatest illusions of Satan. This is one of the greatest illusions of Satan. That the world's kingdom looks better than God's. That's the greatest, the greatest lie since the beginning of time. Satan will never, listen to this, he will never show you the foundation his power sits on because he already knows it won't hold. He knows it's temporary. He knows it will end. He just wants you to have that taste of power, that taste of money, that taste of sex, that taste of fill in the blank. Satan is filled with lies and deceit. That's what he offers. With Satan, it is always about him. Every time. Every time. It's about him. He will create it and set a scenario where it looks like it's about you. It is about him. Every time. But God. His kingdom is built on a foundation that will forever hold. Unlike Satan that is trying to distract us consistently and constantly in our lives, God is telling us to keep our eyes on him. Look here. Look at me. God is actively 
trying to remove them from our lives. He's not trying to fill them in, to keep us looking away. He wants us to look at him. Paul, no, don't do that. Paul, don't go down that road, Paul. Don't do that. Look at me. Keep focused here. We're in this together. Follow me. Follow me. This is God, always by our side, never abandoning us. We can do this. But once Satan is done with you, you are nothing to him. Nothing. You're nothing to him. You bring him nothing. You bring him absolutely. He has nothing to gain from you except the fall of you and your friends. That's all he has. But to God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Now look at what happens when Simon hears this message. This message of truth, this message of hope, this message of real power. Look what happens here. You see, that day, he, Simon, was in the crowd when Philip was preaching. He was hearing this. He was seeing the same signs as everybody else. And Simon himself, who can do exactly the same thing. I can do that. I can do that. I can do that too. I have done that. But you see, he was in that crowd and he was hearing a message. He was hearing something. And then it was in that moment that, that Philip received and realized the same thing that we all did when we first believed. That no matter how much stuff we have, how much power we have, there is still not, we are nothing without him without Christ. And even amidst Philip or, or Simon's full just power and ability, he realized that the message of gospel hope, that message of truth was something I didn't have. And there was nothing I can create to make it so. And so the scripture says that after hearing Philip, Simon believed. And then it says he was baptized that he went and he gave up his life of sorcery, that he believed and he was baptized. And then it also said that he began to follow Philip. He began to follow him. I want to be around you. I don't know what you have, but it is different than what I have. We, it looks like we have the same thing, but I know it isn't. I know it is. I want to be around you. And so he believed, he was baptized, and he began to follow Philip. Nothing can compete with the message that Jesus gave to the woman at the well. Drink from this well and you'll be thirsty again. But drink from the water I offer and you'll never thirst again. Now I want you to know, this is something that I picked up and I did a little research and looked into this, but I want you to know that Simon's empowerment by Satan, his abilities, his signs, all this sort of thing, did not include loyalty to Satan himself. It wasn't, uh, if you want this power, then pledge your loyalty to me. Or this wasn't a classic sell your soul to Satan movie scenario that we see oftentimes. Let me tell you, Satan doesn't care if you pledge your loyalty to him. He doesn't care. He doesn't even care for the credit. Give Simon the credit for the works. I don't care. He only wants to see you and those around you fall. That's it. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't. 
And so, well, after all this, the world, the, the, of all this taking place, we're traveled back to Jerusalem. About, about all the miraculous things that Simon the sorcerer himself has been baptized and become a believer. And so from Jerusalem, they're getting excited about this. And so they send in the big guns. They send Peter and John to go see for themselves. They are going into the land of Samaria and they're going to go and see what the, the, the Lord is moving in Samaria. This is amazing. Let's go. And when they arrive, they're so excited. They're filled with excitement that they instantly, as soon as they saw the group of believers, the new converts, the new ones who are claiming the Messiah, they began to pray over them. Lord, thank you for these believers. Give them strength. Give them, give them courage. Give them the ability to follow you. They're praying over them. But then the scripture says that after they got finished praying over the new believers, that they then did something different. They did something else. They started grabbing them together, and Peter started to lay his hands on them, and he started to say a prayer. He started to lay his hands on the ones for generations that have been filled with, with anger and hate towards him, that he, that, who have gone to war with his people, who have actually worshipped differently than me, that, he, that these are the people who are, who are not like us who would never believe that salvation came from the Jews. And it was in there that they're standing there and Peter is saying, Lord, may the Holy Spirit fall on them. And the scripture says that they were filled with the Spirit. That the people that were, that were separated for generations are now one. Unified as brothers and sisters. Because when you follow him, when you accept him, none of that matters anymore. Now, us here in Gwinnett right now, worshiping together, that we are a one in spirit and in truth than our brothers who are worshiping in Africa at this moment. It may look different. It may be a completely different visionary thing that we see, but we are one with them, not separate. doesn't matter the color of our skin. doesn't matter our culture. doesn't matter where we're from, that we are one under the blood of Jesus Christ, that this is the truth. It is the reality. Well, we're almost done, but we're not done with Simon just yet. You would think, great, Simon the sorcerer, that's a big win. Hey, all right, gave up his life of sorcery, great. Well, you see, Simon saw what took place. He saw Peter and the Holy Spirit really coming through Peter onto these people. He saw what took place. And Simon wanted that same power and spirit. But his intentions were a little shady, to say the least. He actually went up to the apostles the ones that were laying hands and, and ushering in the Spirit. And he said to them, give me this ability. Give me this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands on may also receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he did come empty-handed. He's a businessman. He knows what, he knows, he knows what the, the world, the language of the world. And so then he pulls out his wallet and says, how much for the Spirit? And he starts to offer them money. 
He saw, I, I, I want what you want. I want to have it, but make sure when you give it to me that I also have the ability to give it to others. You see, Simon has had a taste for power before. That taste is still there. He saw it. It would appear that that taste is coming back. Hmm. Interesting. He might even be thinking when he saw the transition of power of the Holy Spirit falling down that maybe I can be a great man in the kingdom of God, just like I was. Hey, I just want to do it over there. I'll do it for the kingdom. I'll be great for you, Lord. Can I please have the ability to bring the Holy Spirit down on people? I'll be great like you are, Lord. Simon, I think, in all my research, is beginning to backslide into some old desires. He's beginning to start to go, hmm, I am familiar with that taste. And let me go back and chase after it. Now, Peter doesn't respond softly uh, to the request from Simon. He actually was quite stern in his response. It was, he didn't really beat around the bush. Uh, Peter just looked at uh, Simon and said, may your money die with you. Ouch. Tell us how you really feel, Peter. Right? How do you really feel about this? But he's being serious. May your money die with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are filled with bitterness and captive to sin. Now, Peter isn't being mean. He's not being just a, a grumpy old man or, or a little rough around the edges. He's tired from his trip or, gosh, you're a Samaritan. Don't you guys figure this stuff out? He's not being that guy. He is trying to save his life is what he's doing. He's trying to say, I love you so much. I am not going to allow you to fall back to that. Listen to me. Wake up. Listen to me that you will not be that man again. You are now in the image of Christ. And so he's rebuking him. He's calling on him to stop it. Stop doing that. He's trying to say, and it was right then when Peter was responding to him in the way that he did, that was the moment. That's when it happened. Right there. It wasn't when he was baptized. It wasn't when he was following the apostles around like a good disciple. And it was, it was right here in this moment that Simon truly believed, accepted the truth of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the reality is, church, I'm just going to say, and I'm not exempt from this, we just need some tough love. Sometimes we just need some tough love. We need a good kick to kind of get us back on the right track. That, that this is a part of the discipleship process of our faith. That God is love. God is love. He has sent his, Christ, his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross and proved it. But I'm going to tell you that when we get to a certain point in our faith, that we need to be holding ourselves accountable to the gospel truths. That's the reality. That sometimes we just need a little kick. And I've had a share of mine throughout the years. Thanks, Mom, often for that. And Josh one day might say the same. <laughs> we'll see. But I've had my share. 
But Simon, right when Peter said this, Simon, with sincerity in his heart, I believe, replied back, please pray to the Lord so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And that's it. That's the only time we ever hear of Simon the sorcerer. He doesn't pop back up in scripture. He doesn't circle back around or that we find out later he's backslid and he's a sorcerer now. That's it. That's all we get. But it actually is believed among church tradition, passed down from generation to generation, written and through different commentaries and scholars that when they, read, when they look at Simon the sorcerer, it is widely believed and accepted that after this moment, Simon genuinely repented and became a productive member of the church of Syria, Samaria. They became a productive member of that church because there is nothing on this earth that can compare or even come close to the spiritual fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. Nothing can. So this morning, I have just a couple of questions. That right now in our spiritual development and where we are in our discipleship, I want you to judge where you are. Am I still at the very beginning? Am I at the starting line? I'm just starting this journey, Captain. I'm trying to figure out what a... What is a trinity and what is that? How is, I'm trying to figure all this stuff out. Are you there? And that's all right. Because we have, we, we're, we're, we're ready to get you to the next step. But if you're on the other spectrum, I've been, I've been following Jesus for all my life, generations even. I want you to just judge where, you, where are you on that spectrum? Where do I, where do I fit in? And then I want you to analyze yourself. Am I following him? Am I following him? Is there anything in my life that needs to be maybe shaved out? Is there anything I need to give up? I'm not talking about necessarily that I don't believe in him kind of stuff. No, no, no. I'm just saying the little distractions that maybe Simon himself had to give up and just pass over to fully receive what God wanted for him. Where are we at? Or maybe the question for you today, is your past coming back for a visit? Is it coming back to remind us of what we once were? Yes, you believe in him. Yes, you wear a uniform. Yes, you do this. Yes, you do that. Just like Simon did. But as soon as you had that moment, you're just a little, I remember that. Remember how it made me feel. I remember, I remember that. Is your past coming back for a visit? I want you to spend a little time with him this morning and just be with the Lord. Thank you for listening to Refresh. Be sure to hit subscribe and like us on Facebook and YouTube to never miss an episode. If you liked what you heard, Be sure to share it with your friends and family. We pray that you will be refreshed and ready to take on your week. See you next time. God bless.